Hello everyone, this is another episode of Gaming's Lost Memories. I'm your host, Big Reed, and today we are going to be talking about video game reviews, and in particular, uh, Game Informer's Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, a review fiasco from, I want to say like 2004. Um, so a couple things, kind of just to put this in order a little bit. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, game reviews, how they're structured, the impact that they used to have, because I do think it's changed. Um, there's just so much media out there. Now the internet has completely changed everything in terms of information. Uh, and I think it's partially like the reason why you don't see gaming events, uh, gaming news events like E3 or other events like that. I mean, COVID, <laughs> you know, barring COVID and all the shutdowns for that. <clears throat> But they don't have the same impact that they had before. And I, I think the same thing happened to video game reviews. So let me let me paint a picture here. Back in the day, so, you know, 90s, mid to late 90s, early 2000s, <clears throat> you basically got all of your information from printed media. So in the video game industry, you know, you would be looking for game information, video game information, reviews, news, uh, you know, what games are coming out. That's basically how you had to get the information. So magazines were very popular during this time, right? So, you know, every month you would get, you know, I'll get, I'll, we'll stick with Game Informer, but you'd get a magazine, boom, you, you see what's coming out, you see what the news are, you see first impressions, games that have been announced and launched. Uh, and that started changing in the 2000s once, the internet became more efficient and more readily available. It's not that it didn't exist because I think uh, GameFAQ, for example, um, you know, it was like 1995 it was founded. So there were really early websites where people were communicating information, but it wasn't as readily available. So think to, you know, the iPhone coming out in 2007 and kind of changing on who has smartphones. Now it's like literally everybody. You, you, you stop anybody like walking down the street say, what kind of phone do you have? They're going to pull out a smartphone, most likely. Um, so it's not that it didn't exist then uh, going online, but like I said, uh, I think in a different podcast, I said it was like 2004, 2005, maybe 2005, uh, our family, like my mom got her, her first computer and we actually, like, I could go on the internet. And Well, first of all, I didn't realize that you had to like pay for the internet. I just thought if you had a computer, you could just go places <laughs> but that's just like it wasn't commonplace and now it feels like absolute chaos out there <laughs> it's almost like we we need um some more quality control because anybody and everybody like you know any <laughs> any nerd with a microphone can start a podcast now <laughs> uh but so during this time too because the information was so you, you were waiting so much for it or Video game companies would wait till once a year, big E3 event, and then boom, and just bombard you with information. Now, what is was so fun there, and just it doesn't exist anymore, is unless there was like a crazy leak that like everybody would kind of like knew about it a little bit, like this is the time when you would get all of your updated big gaming news. Companies would hold on to it for an entire year, however long they knew it was coming, and they would announce it. And it's just like, bam, new console, bam, new, you know, uh, video game from a giant series. Like, bam, surprise, surprise, surprise. So these events have just changed because now it's more so like, hey, 
here's a reminder of everything we are coming out. Here's like a better showcase of it. You know, here's the future of the platform. It's, it's just different now. So with that said as well, video game reviews carried a lot of weight. And it's so crazy to see how much it has changed. It's like this entire thing has just been forgotten. So, you know, why were video game reviews important? Now, I still think this is utilized to this day, but definitely it's not as impactful. Um, so there were, I would say, probably three websites slash magazines that really kind of, it, they were the top three that I remember people going to. It was IGN, Game Informer, and then like GameSpot. Um, and then there was a few other magazines. There was Edge Magazines. Electra, uh, there was so many magazines. There were like 16 magazines. Nintendo Power as well. But that also like kind of comes with anytime it's from the developers slash publishers slash company that makes the hardware and software. That's a tough one because <laughs> it's like, okay, no, like nowhere in the source of the review coming. It's like, hey, this game's awesome and it's an exclusive to the GameCube. It's a 10. <laughs> it's like, is it? Uh... So my point with all that is you're purchasing a video game or you're going to invest your time and money into a video game or, you know, parents are going to like, what's the hot new game? What's the popular game? Because, you know, they're getting like a couple games or they're getting it, you know, a game for their birthday or a game for like they they want to make a purchase and know that that purchase is going to have a lot of value and it's going to be sought after, it's going to be good, a lot of replayability, you know, all that stuff. So at this point, a, a a bad score could negatively impact the perception of the game, the sales of the game, you know, oh my gosh, like on the schoolyard, this is just like a oh this game got a 7. Ah, you're lame. Ha ha ha. Like everybody's just going back and forth. Um, so with journalism in general, and especially like video game journalism, you know, you can, at the time you could have largely impacted the product. So there have been a lot of situations where these journalistic companies or these like, you know, media outlets, IGN, for example, I have, I have theirs up cause I wanted to look at their review score breakdowns, which they actually do a good job, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but you run into the awkward situation of, okay, so what happens when you write video game reviews or you do video game journalism? So let me let me break this down a little bit here. So uh, I started writing for GameFAQs because you can just like anybody can submit reviews as they go through like a little quality control thing um, and basically anybody can submit them. So. I forget how many reviews I did, but I have like 210,000 hits across all of my reviews. I reviewed hardware, software, um, and I want to say I started around 2011, I believe. It was while I got out of the military and I was going to college, and I was like, you know, I really want to try this because I've always liked this, and I want to kind of, you know, review the games I'm interested in reviewing, and it's, it's complex. Like, can I stand behind you know, every one of my reviews in terms of quality? Probably not. Um, because if you go back to some of my early ones, I don't want to revise them because like, I, that's what I was capable of putting out at the time. Um, but you know, like you improve as a writer, you improve like formulating your opinions, you improve with the structure of your review. Um, you know, you understand your target audience a little bit better and you kind of understand the point of like what you're trying to do a lot more effectively than when you first start. So after, after I had a few years into it, I was like, you know, I felt like a 180. 
But the, the second thing, too, is, you know, anytime you do something, you want it to get visibility, you know, whether it's a podcast or this or that. So for game reviewers, um, you know, in these big, you know, websites, uh, magazines, not so much magazines anymore, but depending on how you score it, it's going to get more eyeballs on it and it's going to get the eyeballs of the developer and publishers as well. So I, I wrote for game facts for a little bit. I won review of the month. You could only win every other month, so you couldn't submit it every single month. You had to wait a month, um, in between. And it was like six or seven times in a row. Um, I won that. So they just give you like a gift card. They, uh, you know, keep, uh, they, uh, they, they keep the review on their website, which, which is fair. Cause like you agree to that before you submit it, if you end up winning. Um, so that was all really cool. But, uh, I ended up writing for a website called pixel Volt after that. Now that was a fun time. Uh, I won't go into too much detail. I I'm pretty sure they don't exist anymore, but I did a few reviews there and that's the first time that, you know, you have your, um, editors, then you have like your editor in chief. So you, you kind of have like your, your average people. And then you might have like a, a f you have your editor in chief, who's basically in charge of everything. Um, and then you have like a few of your senior editors too. And I could be getting the titles wrong, but basically like for them, they were accredited, I believe. So that means on game rankings and Metacritic, your reviews show up. So that's big because, you know, after you submit that, it says this website and this was our, you know, score, this is our review. So <clears throat> in that capacity, I wasn't just, you know, representing myself anymore. I was representing, you know, a website. Uh, so anything that I said, I was speaking on behalf of the website. So what would happen is we would actually get, you know, game codes and everything like that. Uh, some of the smaller publishers would uh, send us media to post with the review. So uh, high res screenshots and stuff like that, which is really helpful. But, you know, keep in mind, if they're selling a product too, you have to really keep that journalistic integrity and go into it, not promising anything. Like if you give us a copy of your game, we're going to review it, but we're going to review it, you know, how we see fit. We're going to play it and we're going to be fair. Um, because a lot of the small publishers will give you free games because they just want to get reviews. They want to get eyes, you know, on their product. They want to get stuff out there about their product. They're just trying to get noticed. Um, some of the bigger game companies, you know, they, there's review embargoes still, which I think is like so stupid at this point. Um, but it's like you, okay, we're going to give you a copy of your game, but you cannot release the reviews until the day it launches or the day before, which is also hilarious because like they're, they don't want any bad press. So they're like, okay, uh, here's your free copy of the game, you know, that we gave you a few months before, uh, cause they, they, they want the exposure too. um, but they also want to control it a little bit. So if you're going to give it like a seven or they're releasing a highly sought after product, but they kind of know it's, you know, maybe not going to be the greatest or reviewed really well. They don't want it to impact sales or have pre-orders canceled or anything like that. So they tell the, you know, the website, uh, Hey, you can't post it till the day it comes out. <laughs> so that way, like people buy it, then they can read that you gave it a six. Cause it's like the worst game ever. <laughs> I'm kidding. Six not a, isn't a bad score, which we'll talk about soon. Um, but yeah, so uh, I wrote for Pixel Volt a little bit. Uh, that I did a few reviews, and that's kind of where I learned too. Like, you can have an editor in chief or like a senior editor that tries to keep your message of what you're saying there, and then there's like some minor, uh, like you can 
uh, what am I trying to say? You know, go through punctuation and everything like that and clean it up for them. Uh, but you never want to take, you never want to change what the author is trying to say. So you can definitely clean it up, um, but you never want to like alter what they're saying. And I had one review um, that I wrote that that definitely happened to because I remember reading it and I was like, okay, like I understand you're trying to like clean up my punctuation, but that's more of like a conversation of, hey, you know, you're doing a lot of run on sentences. Um, uh, technically, it's like okay with the punctuation, like it's kosher, it meets all the guidelines, but maybe, you know, make those sentences more concise and try to be more direct with what you're saying. Because I remember like seeing the one review that I wrote and I was like, okay, there's like a middle portion here that is like basically not even my writing anymore. Like it's been like altered and changed so much that like I was reading it and it's kind of funny because like when you write <clears throat> or you speak to like an English professor or something like that, they always talk about the voice, your writing voice. So like as somebody's reading it, you know, they're reading in their head, there's that voice, like you can feel the author's voice basically. And as I was reading it, I was like, it changed. Like I, I could feel the change. I was like, this isn't me anymore. Like this is too altered, too changed, too updated. I, I don't know what happened. Uh, the editor in chief and you know one of the other co-founders got into a big argument and then the site was just destroyed. And I was like, Hey, uh, I went to log in and it's not working to like the back end of the website where you like, uh, you know, contribute and write stuff. And he's like, yeah, uh, the other guy just, we got into an argument and he just like wasted the website and deleted everything that was his. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'm done doing this. Uh, but then I ended up getting picked up by dark station. Uh, the first thing that I will say is most of these positions, uh, back in the day, you used to have like a staff, right? Because, there were so many more eyeballs on it and you were like one of like, geez, maybe, maybe 10 or 12, you know, outlets that were big. So they would have like a full blown staff, you know what I mean? Not full blown, but you would have your full time, you know, editors and everything like that. Right. Um, now a lot of it is because there's just so much out there, um, that they'll just do like the gig economy stuff. So it's like, Hey, you, you write us a review. We'll give you a hundred bucks and, uh, we get to keep it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's a little weird because you want some consistency in your authors, especially with your reviewers, because once you find somebody that you kind of trust and understand, whether it be a website uh, or it be like a specific person, um, you might somebody that, you know, find somebody that aligns with like your styles. Like I like JRPGs, for example. So I might go to RPG fan or RPGgamer.com as opposed to some of like the big, you know, the bigger websites that kind of cover a little bit of everything because they might one, have not even heard of this game to review it. But two, they might be like, well, I don't know. It's like there's turn-based combat. And I'm like, I love turn-based combat. <laughs> They're like, oh, well, we took two points off for that. So, yeah. Um, so you kind of want that consistency. But it's, it's a lot different now. But with Dark Station, um, I, I got to learn a lot now. Um, they were also accredited. So I had some work that was posted through that website that was on Metacritic and Game Rankings. Uh, which was really cool. So like you'd go on Metacritic for like a game and click it and it's like, boom, there's my, you know, article, which that was like really cool. But it also taught me a lot on the back end of, you know, like how the publisher relationships work and everything like that, because that, that was the website where, you know, we would get review codes and everything like that. And they're like, Hey, you know, we have these, you know, 10 review codes. Um, you want to get some content out this week? You know what I mean? So, you know, who wants to play and beat a game and, you know, write a review on it? 
um, and they would give us like a zip file that, you know, had all the media. So that way it's like they want it out there. So they're just trying to get anybody and everybody to write reviews for it, to get some eyeballs on it. The flip side is too, uh, I believe, uh, I don't know if we all could have gotten it, but, uh, we actually had E3 access. So I remember, uh, I, I won't say names, but our editor in chief, um, a really nice guy, but he lived out in California, I believe, and got to go to one of the E3 events. And it was just like casual. It was like, oh, I, you know, I'm going cause like our website has accreditation or whatever. And I'm like, that is like stinking cool. Uh, we also had like a podcast, which everybody who handled this, cause I think it was I'm trying to think of the, uh, the names of everybody. I won't say it on here just to, you know, just to, <laughs> cause that dark station is no longer around, which is so sad. They shut down this year. Um, but it's, I got to learn like podcasting and like kind of working as a group. And then when you also write something like you represent the entire website or, you know, like you represent the whole crew because I remember writing a destiny review, right? And, and this is where we're going to kind of talk real quick about like, you know, the gaming scores. So there's some memes. There's the IGN 8.8 memes. Like what the hell does <laughs> this mean? So your ratings are one through 10. Um, five is considered mediocre and I think that's how it should be. Now there was a long time there where the publishers were kind of putting pressure on, you know, like there was one situation which I won't go into. That's probably for another time, but basically the publisher said, you're going to give our game a six. We will never work with you again. Like, because you're doing this and like it all came out and was like just an absolute disaster. Cause like the, at the end of the day, the game wasn't, as good as it was being built out to be. And you have to be able to be honest and do that. Like you can't say, okay, we'll change it to a nine. You know what I mean? So that way, like you sell your product, like it's, you, you, you have to have that journalistic integrity and feel confident in giving a score that is deserving of the experience based upon, you know, the best of your ability. So five is kind of like mediocre, right? So anything under five, and you're kind of getting into games that either aren't memorable or extremely repetitive or like are almost like physically broken. Like, you know, it could be glitchy, could be, you know, something with the gameplay that's just not working well. Gameplay, number one category. I think sometimes we forget that we uh, are in the video game community and they're meant to be played. <laughs> so I don't understand how you could put anything above gameplay because that's what makes video games video games. Like if you take gameplay out, it's a movie. Or you take gameplay out and you're just like watching a video. You know what I mean? Uh, I think graphics uh, can be important as well. But I, I don't understand trying to make games like look super realistic and everything like that. Because I think we're just finally now, after what, like 40 years, <laughs> starting to kind of get to the point where they're somewhat realistic looking. Um, but we're still way far off, like. I don't know if you guys remember the times when 3D graphics like first came out with the, you know, the PlayStation in the Nintendo 64. Uh, technically, I think the Genesis and Super Nintendo kind of like played with it a little bit, but it was done in a different way. So it's like that's when you really had like 3D rendered environments and people were like, look at these realistic graphics. And I remember seeing certain games and I'm like, this looks like it doesn't look good because while it was the best that could have been put out at the time. You put it to, you know, Zelda a Link to the Past or, you know, Metroid, any of these games like on the Super Nintendo, the previous generation. And you're like, 
good God, these games look incredible. Sonic 3 and Knuckles, you're like, whoa, these look really good. And then you go to these like 3D, it's like, in my opinion, it didn't look as good. Um, and especially like the original Metal Gear Solid when you're talking about like graphics, uh, the color scheme looked really good. And from like the top down view, like I still think you can go back and play that game and you're like, for being on the PlayStation, it's not bad. Like it's, it's functional, but then like the characters talk and they don't have faces and they just like nod their heads up and down when they talk. And you're like, yeah, we were, we were far off. We weren't even close. Um, but gameplay is the most important. If your game's not fun to play, what's the point? (laughs) Like you have to have some type of concept that makes it an enjoyable experience that's unique to the video game industry. Like that's what makes video games, video games. You got to be able to play the games. But during this heyday of before the internet being massively popular and everybody, you know, having access to it in their pocket, the review scores kind of got skewed a little bit where every game that would come out would get an eight (laughs) or seven. So I'm in the, I'm in the belief that you should utilize um, the full point system. So the it should be one, two, three, four, etc., all the way to 10. Now, the reason that I personally believe that is you want the differentiation in between like what's a nine versus an eight. You know what I mean? I, I am okay with the half point system. Like that's okay as well. That's acceptable. Um, but what's the difference between a 7.5 and an 8 or a 5.5 and a 6 or like it gets harder to differentiate there the people that use the like full blown point like point 1 point 2 point 3 it's absolutely ridiculous i have no idea what the what the hell an 8.8 versus an 8.9 means like i i, I don't even think you could describe it I, I think it would be nearly impossible to do i i think you need that full point system to try to you know, really showcase the game and what the experience actually is to the best of your ability using that full point half point. Okay. I can kind of like get it, but anything under that, like, Oh my gosh, now we're just getting silly. It's also funny too. Uh, I prefer the one through 10 system. Um, but if you do the one through five system, that gets tricky because most, most outlets use one through 10, so then you have to convert if somebody gives it like a three. So, you know, you get a three and a three out of five doesn't sound bad, but it's like a six. You know what I mean? So it's like, mm, it's like, is that really, you know, what we thought it was? Like, so I don't know. Or, you know, A, B, C, D, E, N, F, like, oh my gosh. But starting with 10, because <clears throat> that's where most games that are going to get put out there that make it through the slog of even being created, going through a publisher, especially if it's like one of like the big publishers, like, you know, there's probably a few hundred uh, developers slash publishers that, you know, have a proven track record of, you know, quality experiences in general, or at least creating a game and getting it to launch. So starting with the concept, developing it, going gold, launching the title. Most of the time, most of the time, you're going to get a functional game experience. You know what I mean? So I think that's kind of why that so many games were getting scored, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, like all throughout there. And one through five on the review scale was not being utilized at all. Cause it's like, well, that's ah, a six. And, and there is, is you know, a, there's some legs there because 
if it's getting all the way to release, there's a probability that, you know, it's from a company that has done this at least more than once. You know what I mean? Or it's a publisher who has published, this isn't their very first game. Like they've done, they've been through this rodeo at least once before. So I think there's a little bit there. Um, but starting with 10, uh, so I, I pulled up IGNs and they have Masterpiece and I really do believe that if a game gets a 10, it's not perfect. So anybody that has a review system, not IGN doesn't. There's there's no such thing as a truly perfect game. It's like, you know, what they said there, which is absolutely, that's a great way of describing it. Perfection doesn't exist. So I look at 10s as like, you, this needs to be a game that you play, or this is a generational-based game. Now, I, I think there are some games that are a 10 that necessarily aren't generational. And what I mean is like, when it's a gen generational experience, it influences the game industry for a long time, or it changes how like certain things are done. Ocarina of Time, I think, is a big one. Uh, I would say Mario sixty four as well, but I do think Ocarina of Time is a better game uh, by by a lot. Uh, well, oh man, fighting words, huh? Um, but <clears throat> I think you can go back and play Ocarina of Time, and it's still like. Oh my god, like I don't know how they did it, but it influenced so many 3D games, especially like action adventure games and everything like that during that time and into the future. It was like, okay, here's a blueprint on how to make a freaking amazing game and have 3D graphics. Like it is possible. Um, or Skyrim would be a great example, you know, Super Mario Brothers. Uh, you're kind of getting into the weeds because if you were rating Super Mario, the original Super Mario Brothers at the time, what the hell would you compare it to? You know what I mean? It's not like uh, their Mario was like super popular. Like you're, there wasn't like running and jumping. You know what I mean? There might have been like more primitive experiences, but like the original Mario, that, that would be. There was a joke, pennyarcade.com, which I don't know if they're still around, but that was another website that I would always go. And uh, the two like people that created it were Gabe and Tycho. I don't know what their real names were, but they would write comics and everything like that and just talk about like this type of stuff. Uh, and they like it. It was just a really fun website and their comics were great. And they like would just say, you know, some of the funniest things at the time. But uh, I remember Tycho, he was more of like the writer and Gabe was more he like he drew the comics and everything like that. But I remember him saying, how the hell can you give Pac-Man a seven or excuse me, a six? Like it's freaking Pac-Man. And, and I do think there is some of that stuff there. It's like. I, I would not want to be the person that reviews Pac-Man. <laughs> like, I'd be like, it's freaking Pac-Man. It's like, it literally changed so much. Like, what do you, what do you even compare it to? You know what I mean? Um, I think it's easier to kind of, uh, review like newer titles for like, you know, that like, but my point is, uh, another 10 might've been Super Mario Brothers 3. Cause I, oh my God, that game is still so damn good. But that changed like so much that, that really showcased like you can make, a flawless platformer and you know like boom here you go like this is what can be done on this hardware you know what i mean and, and i think pound for pound that's probably like my favorite maybe not my favorite but arguably the best nes game i'm trying to think of like what else would even be up there in terms of like quality because you have zelda like you have like you have so many titles that started there mega man's i love all the mega man's like a lot but i just feel like Super Mario Brothers 3 is like perfect. But those generational based games, they just like impact things for years to come. Skyrim is another great example, a more, you know, somewhat modern, not that modern, but a more modern example. <clears throat> I think it's like 10 years old at this point. It makes me feel old. Um, so, yeah. So 
anytime like you're writing these reviews, a 10 does not mean perfect. So if you if you see like a website where it's like this game is flawless, every game has flaws. Anything that is created by people is going to have flaws. But what impact does it have? You know, there might be like some small things that kind of pop up, but it's like one of those games where you just can't freaking put it down. And you kind of like work your way back from there. So, you know, five is kind of like your middle ground where five, you could stop playing it and maybe like forget the game in a week or something like that. Or it's just extremely repetitive or doesn't stand out anyway. It's like functional. And then, you know, where does the fun come in? Where does the story come in? You know, what impact does this game have? Like, can you put it down? I think that's one of the biggest things um, is like, is it an experience that sticks with you? And there's plenty of experiences that, you know, I, I always use Ocarina of Time as kind of like my baseline. I still probably think that's my like overall favorite game of all time. And like playing it, like every once in a while, I'll go back and play it. And there's some awkwardness playing it on the modern controllers because like it's not designed for two joysticks. I do I do really think that Nintendo using like the weird style of the Z uh, the Z button on the Nintendo 64 controller works for whatever reason. Um, but it's just like outside of like some weird controller things like playing it on modern controllers. I'm like, how the hell did people make this? Like everything was going against this game. <laughs> it's like, okay, take Zelda and make it 3D. And they're like, oh boy. Okay, so we get my first ever 3D Zelda. Here we go. And they just, like, it's just the structure of the game. I really do think structure uh, for video games is important. And I know that kind of sounds weird, um, but I, I really feel like if you have a good structure on how you're letting people play it, like that really adds to the gameplay experience. And I, I do think you need to kind of like take the training wheels off a little bit. Um, I'll give you an example. Like I'm, I'm replaying a uh, persona five on the switch and it's, I forgot how much the game just like kind of tells you what to do in the beginning. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Just show me everything. And then just let me go. Like, let me figure it all out. Let me make my mistakes. You know what I mean? Um, so it's good to have games where it's just like, okay, here you go go <laughs> you know play it uh that's when you kind of had to go back into the game manuals and everything too and uh you know find the tips and all that so uh for dark station i ended up getting tasked with the destiny review so i had written a few reviews and articles i did some podcasts with them like we were building good rapport uh, that crew was absolutely awesome everybody was fun um everybody like brought a, a lot of great knowledge and experience and everything to it and it's awesome, like, anytime, just the video game community, um, like, you just have, like, a great rapport once you find your community. I, I do think there's a lot of, like, positives to that. But I loved Destiny. And while it was not a flawless experience, like, I wanted to give it a 10. Because at that point, I'm like, there's, I'm like, what Destiny is. And I, I don't know too much about Destiny 2. I, I have played it. But what the original Destiny is, I'm like, there's a template here that's going to kind of control what modern day like multiplayer slash co-op video games are going to be and online games are going to be or, or possibly can be with this experience. I think there's like really something there. Um, and what's interesting there is you're giving a game that, you know, is wildly popular and i want to say it was probably getting like sevens between sevens and nines you know what i mean and then all of a sudden i'm like i want to give it a 10 here's my reasons because i was playing it and i was just like 
this is it. And what's so interesting too is it felt so much like Halo because like Destin, or excuse me, Bungie left um, Microsoft. They don't own Halo anymore. Destiny feels like the Halo shooting, like the fluidity, just the weight of the weapons, like the uniqueness of the weapons. It was just like, I found Halo again. You know what I mean? It's just in a different form and it's a shooter RPG with multiple people. Like it was like super interesting. Now that was probably, I, I want to say the most controversial like score that I've ever considered giving a game. And uh, I remember the editor in chief kind of being like, Hey, I read your review. I love it. He's like, He's like, that score, though, like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know if, like, what you're saying justifies a 10. And, you know, we started having that discussion. I just remember him saying, you know, well, 10's perfect. I'm like, well, 10's not perfect. I'm like, it's a flawed experience. I'm like, there are flaws. But I, so I, I kind of explained it. And I remember I wrote him an email back, and I'm like, I, I explained the review system. Like, a 10 does not mean it's perfect. Here's what it does well that really stands out. Here's why I think it deserves a 10. And you know, yeah, did it. And he's like, man, I think you talked me into it. <laughs> so we ended up, I remember we did a podcast where everybody, you know, professionally and politely grilled me on it. And uh, we came down to it and we're like, listen, we're going to roll with it. We're going to give it a 10. Holy smokes. Like, like we're going to do this. Like, it, like this is a big deal because it's like, you're speaking for our, our entire organization and website. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no pressure. Um, but you know, He's like, what we're going to do is we're going to release it. And then, you know, basically that email that you sent me explaining it, he's like, I want to release like that with it um, so we can make it, you know, we can kind of button that up so it's not an email written to me, but release it to like our community. Uh, and, and that's really like how it should be. I, I think if you're doing that, I, I, there's absolutely nothing wrong with, you know, sitting down and talking to everybody because you should be able to justify your opinion. Because if I would have sat down and they're like, well, why are you giving me a 10? I'm like, oh, no, it was really fun. Like, no, you need to be, you, you need to go into depth and have some context and perception as to why you're, you know, justifying that score. Um, especially if you're giving it, you know, a really, a score that is going to have like a big impact. Like you have to have the quality of you being, having your integrity, your journalistic integrity, but also, you know, making sure that you're writing well because if, if you if it's just sloppy and it's like this game is good you should play it. it is a 10 you know people are just going to freaking pick it apart and they should you know what i mean like at the end of the day you want to write a good game review or game article so that that's kind of like some like background and everything like that um just game reviews, really writing the scoring and everything like that, that kind of puts into a little bit of context. And the, the one thing I, I want to talk about, because I feel like this definitely got lost in our history is everything from like 1995 to mid 2000s, maybe even mid to late 2000s, like as the internet started, be, you know, going into everybody's pockets, and it was like, so wildly, you know, accessible, basically, is things just get lost to the tides of time. And one of them that I remember because, okay, Game Informer was one of the top three, I, I would say like largest. It was one of the top three that definitely like I consumed uh, in terms of like game reviews, articles, like things of that nature. Uh, during the time uh, of that, because I would say it was like 2004, but like 2000s to, you know, mid 2000s, basically the tenure of the Nintendo GameCube. Uh, Nintendo had a perception of, you know, this is a kiddie console, this is this, this is that. Uh, and I, I'm not quite sure 
why that hit because I feel like it has gone away. And I, and I think I know why. I think it was because of the success of the Nintendo DS and the, the Nintendo Wii. I think that kind of changed everything and just grew gaming to a size that brought in a lot of, you know, common people. And you might have somebody that just plays, you know, one PC game now. Not saying that they're casual. Um, that's like a whole other, you know, debate. But I, I would say like even myself now, like I, I play relatively uh, casually. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm like, okay, I play eight hours a day every single day. I play all of these brand new releases all week. It's like, uh, well, I have to be kind of like selective with what I what I play now. Um, but, you know, during this time, you have like your top three, right? So Game Informer had a lot of weight and it was a monthly magazine. So I don't know if they had the website yet. They probably did. But I remember, you know, getting the magazine. Nintendo has this reputation of being kitty, And for whatever reason, it was exacerbated during this time where everybody like it wasn't just like people or you know people at school or you know quote unquote on the schoolyard like oh no you got to play grand theft auto what are you playing them baby games for but that was the perception like and then you had the wind waker fiasco which we've already talked about before you have them releasing a console that's purple you have the xbox coming out like gaming was going through like an identity crisis where it was like you know we're gonna be cool and this is for adults and like you got to play these hardcore games and it's like you can do that and play those games like you can play Grand Theft Auto and then you can go and play Zelda or you can go and play Mario and there's nothing wrong with that like they're both awesome games you know what i mean like you can play Grand Theft Auto 5 and then you can go play Breath of the Wild they're not mutually exclusive you know what i mean so i distinctly remember at this time just watching things like G4 or reading Game Informer and feeling that I couldn't ever put, I couldn't ever give a specific example, but it might have been like a small comment on a breakdown of a new game. And it's like, oh, you know, this game's for kids. It would just be like a small comment where it's like, ah, oh, that seems weird, but there's not enough like meat and potatoes. But it really felt like there was a strong bias towards Nintendo during this time. I think it's gone away because the video game industry exploded. Like it's bigger than it's ever been, you know what I mean? And. I think there's a lot of consoles. So Nintendo, it's funny enough, they went through all this and they were like, listen, focusing on the core is great, but we need to focus on the core and then focus on everybody. Like anybody can play video games and we need to make games that are a 10 out of 10 experience or the best possible experience that we can make that you would love to play and then your grandma would love to play or your sister would love to play or you know your dad would love to play. So they ended up kind of changing that perception. But during this time, man, it was dark. And I remember I'm like, you know, playing Animal Crossing on a purple GameCube and just like, like uh, everybody just keeps making fun of it. <laughs> I didn't have a PlayStation 2 at that time either, so I couldn't play uh, Grand Theft Auto when it was coming out. Those were always fun days uh, to go to school because like nobody was there. <laughs> Everybody's like, uh, we are all sick. And Grand Theft Auto 3 came out. Um, but yeah, so... I, but I distinctly remember Game Informer just scoring games lower, but I felt like there was no basis for it. Like, I didn't have anything to kind of stand on. Then Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door came out. And it's heralded as a classic now, so hindsight's twenty twenty. A lot of people, you know, love the written dialogue because uh, there's a lot of, like, jokes and writing in there that are for the adults. Uh, but Paper Mario, it, it was a sequel to the Nintendo 64 game where, you know, Mario is like a little piece of paper and like you walk around, there's like, it's an RPG, really cool game. I think 
the 64 one and the GameCube one are my favorites and they feel more like, you know, Mario RPG uh, from the Super Nintendo. Like it feels more like that as opposed to like what the later ones became, which are basically like action games. Like they need more substance now, in my opinion. But at the time it came out and a lot of people liked it. They were like, this is a really like solid game and it was getting scored pretty well. So uh, I think Metacritic now it's like around an 87 but you had a lot of people giving it like a 9 out of 10 when it was coming out. So Game Informer released their review. And I, I won't say it's scathing, but it was definitely harsh. And it was rated significantly lower than everyone else. It was rated a 6.75. And here's the crazy thing. I remember this happening. And I'm like, man, really? But this is at the point, too, where this could impact sales. You know what I mean? Like, this is this is a big deal. And, you know, you're, you're kind of reading the review and everybody kind of got up in arms. They were just like, this is kind of weird. And uh, the way the Game Informer would do it um, is, which I, they probably still do. I know a lot of people do this. They'll, they'll do like a second opinion. So like somebody say they'll give it a 6.75. Somebody else might give it a 6. And they'll like include a little blurb. But what was interesting is even in the blurb, like it was like they were already talking about the blowback they were going to get which if you're talking about the blowback you're going to get in a review it means there's probably a reason or something happened you know as you were playing the game and writing these reviews where a conversation was had you know between the two people that reviewed it and why would you think there's going to be blowback like if you're just playing the game based upon what you think it is then like you wouldn't really think of the blowback or acknowledge the blowback until it happened. Correct. Well, this is where it gets really dicey because this was a big controversy and this is what kind of, I canceled my subscription to game informer because of it. So the review scores came out, right. And, uh, I want to say it's Jeremy Zoss. He was the associate editor at the time. I don't know if he's still there or not. Um, but everybody basically wrote in and, you know, was asking about it. Like, why is this game reviewed so lowly from you guys? Like it's, it doesn't seem to match with what's kind of out there or what the core experience is. So this is kind of what Jeremy wrote. I'm going to read it real quick. Um, and then there's a lot of context here. So Lisa and I both knew that our paper Mario scores were going to cause controversy. Yes. We know that many people out there will love it. We also know that it is a well-made game. However, it also will not appeal to many people. I would safely say that more people will dislike it than like it. Why? Like we said in the review, it's a very kiddie game. Its target audience is clearly young gamers. I would say 10 or under. For that reason, we had to score it low. Remember, we aren't scoring games strictly on our personal opinions. We're also scoring them based on how much we think the gaming public will like them. We've all played games that we personally disliked and scored them well because we've known that most people will like them. And we've also scored games low that we love because most people won't enjoy them. For example, I really like the bizarre frog golf game Ribbit King and I gave it a 7 because it's not it's just not for everyone. Paper Mario 2 also scored low because it's not for everyone. If you think it's a 10 in your book, it's a 10 in your book and that doesn't change if we disagree. We're here to guide you on what games to pick up, but ultimately your personal opinion is what will make you buy a game or not. I hope this helps. Holy smokes. I remember and keep in mind uh I don't remember seeing an article of this because I can't find the original review. Um, it's not on their website, which if I was Game Informer and that happened, I would freaking have pulled the review as well and been like, oh my God. Like, I I'm surprised they kept the score because 
it gets worse. <laughs> so basically at this point, they publish this and the next – so they release the review. Everybody writes in like, what the heck? And the next, you know, uh, monthly uh, – oh, sorry. The next monthly uh, issue of Game Informer has that. So now everybody's like, we knew it. Like, keep in mind how crazy this is. I could never imagine writing a review and being like, oh, this game's for babies. <laughs> like, uh, four. Like, oh my god, like, all of your integrity just, like, flew out the window. It literally says, we don't base games. Y yes, it's a, uh, it's a great, well-made game. It's awesome. A lot of people are going to give it a 10. Uh, but we don't because uh, it's not about if it's a, you know, it's a game that we think is well designed like it doesn't matter we're basing it off of what we think the gaming public will like that is so crazy that throws the integrity of the entire magazine out the window and like i'm like flapping my arms around to this point but like you just throw it out the window at that point like everything goes into question you can't come out and say something like that like i can't believe that that got written and posted because what that tells me if i'm the editor-in-chief or i'm anybody else that is in charge of you know this associate editor or you know maybe he was in charge i actually don't know so i, I jeremy i apologize if uh, you actually like ran the whole thing <laughs> and it was your say but what that means is that entire culture is okay hey we're gonna alter our scores based upon what we think the gaming public will like and at the time you know it was nintendo as kitty like that was just how it felt, which is absolutely so immature. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, you have to be confident in yourself and comfortable in your own skin to play a game that doesn't have, you know, blood or shooting and still be able to enjoy the experience. Like it's just part of being a gamer. Like you got to be able to kind of experience all of the, the different ice cream flavors of our, <laughs> of our uh, medium, you know? Uh, but saying that I was like, Oh my God, it's true. I, at that point, I canceled my subscription to Game Informer because I'm like, everything is called into question. There's no justification because that has to be so ingrained into the culture of how they write over there and how like, I'm just, I'm done. Like it can't be like the, there's no integrity there. It's impossible. You just came out and said, this is what we all do. And the fact that it made it all the way published into the magazine, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of like how it is. Uh, so, Okay got you know a letter written he responded to this so this is kind of you know interesting okay you ready so he's replying back to somebody named john so thanks for writing there's been a lot said about the post i made in our forums oh it might have been on the forums so my bad uh, most of which like your letter is completely fair and valid in a fit of irritation i posted said message without really thinking about it and have lived to regret it everyone here scores games based upon their personal opinions not based upon what we think the public wants to hear if we scored games based on what people wanted to hear paper mario 2 would have gotten a much higher score uh, like a 9 or a 10 but that's not how we do things. What I meant in my message on our forums is that I thought the majority of gamers would feel like I did about Paper Mario 2. Disappointment once they got their hands on it. I didn't mean to imply that I thought about how the public would perceive a title when scoring it. I just meant what I thought those who agreed my score would outnumber those vocal opponents to my score. I'm sorry to hear that this incident has caused you to distrust my the magazine in any way, you shouldn't. Everyone here is honest and upfront about their opinions and scores games accordingly. You can feel free to distrust me if you want, although I think I'm being quite honest with you admitting that I publicly screwed up, but don't let it spoil your opinion on everyone else here, the work they do, or the publication that we put out. Thank you. Jeremy Ross, Associate Editor, Game Informer Magazine. Here's the deal. At that point, it's already screwed up. 
And I can't remember uh, if uh, here's the other thing that I can't find. I distinctly remember after this was all said, uh, the editor in chief would like on the very first page would have like a, Hey, here's what's going on. It was like, you know, a page of just, this is what's going on in the community. This is what's happening. Like, you know, and I, I remember them discussing this, but I can't find it. And that's, I call this gaming's lost memories for this reason in particular, this whole thing is not remembered. And somebody, it's really funny. Somebody on Reddit posted a, a picture of the Game Informer magazine. And they're like, was this how everyone felt about Paper Mario at the time? And they're like, well, actually, no, this was an outlier for these reasons. But you can't post that original message and then very clearly get the blowback that you got and then post that and say the exact opposite. Actually, just kidding. What I meant was we don't do everything that I just said, like, that just doesn't work because for you to be able to say what you said, that has to be the culture of the entire, the, the entire place. Like, I don't know what else to say. And I think that's why partially, I think two things kind of changed, you know, the video game industry and, you know, the magazines and everything like that. One, the world changed. So you can literally go and get any information instantaneously, you know, in the palm of your hand about any game and, that you don't have to wait yearly to hear about the new console, to hear about this, like stuff's going to leak. You you can release the information at any point and it just gets out to the people it needs to get out to now. So that changed. The other thing that changed is slowly, is, you know, you, you don't have to wait because that information changed. So the need for the review score is kind of like shifted. So people would look at these review scores and be like, okay, am I purchasing this game? Yes or no. And I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. Like people will still definitely look at reviews, but I feel like there's enough information out there and enough outlets out there um, to find the games that you want to play. There's more games than there ever has been. You know what I mean? And with the explosion of our video game industry, like you can go to a very specific genre and find, you know, a hundred plus games on something super small that just wouldn't have existed before. It wouldn't have made it past like the publishers wouldn't have wanted to put it out because, you know, it just, it was too hard to reach people. Now with like steam, there's multiple consoles. There's like a billion ways to play games. You can release them on mobile now. Like you can just reach your target audience so much more effectively than you could before, like during this time. But I really do think this time for me, it, it shifted how I really looked at this and I'm like, okay, like it's kind of what I expected. Review scores are kind of baloney. Like these are at the end of the day, it's people writing these, they can be flawed. They can have their own like personal opinions or not necessarily vendettas. But if, if you felt that games were kitty, that that's a, that's a strong baseline for me of like, okay, I don't think you're like mature enough to be doing this <laughs> or, you know, I, I guess you are cause you had the job, but it's like, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. And I think you're projecting. Because at the end of the day, then you can branch the argument, you know, out to you're playing video games. Like if you really want to argue to like your average, you know, boomer, I guess you would call them now, uh, your average, you know, like older person who they did like video games weren't an outlet there. They're probably like, oh, those kids in their video games. And you're like, no, no, uh, I'm 35 and I'm playing, you know, this new Batman game. Or I'm playing this game. And they're like, OK, that sounds like it's for kids. So like you're just it's not an argument that's sound and it's not an argument that shows your confidence in yourself and your own opinion. So you have to be able to play a game. And if it's colorful, you know, like Wind Waker or something like that, 
Uh, it's hilarious. Like in a, another podcast, we talked about that. You know, Wind Waker was poorly received at the time. And now it's like, wow, these graphics are absolutely incredible. This is like, you know, this is amazing. It really stood the test of time. So I don't know. It, that shifted. And that's kind of also like what caused me to like want to go in and write video game reviews and talk about video games and go on the message boards and, you know, talk with everybody. But there's so much during this time that is just lost. And I, I don't know what else to do other than like find all these old gaming magazines and just buy the issues and upload them digitally and like create an archive. But people just don't remember this. And like having experience at the time being on forums, I, I think I was on forums. I, I remember using the school computers to <laughs> go on a few of like websites like Game Packs and stuff too. Um, but experiencing this at the time, I was just like, wow, like this is absolutely crazy. And you really like felt it. Cause I even remember during this time, um, maybe a little bit after actually it might've been G4. I think it was, uh, when twilight princess came out on the Wii and <laughs> I think it was G4 TV and they also hated Nintendo. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I just remember seeing, uh, it was between that and like another game for like game of the year and Zelda like won or was like vote. It was like the fan game of the year. And it was like Zelda and they were like upset that they had to announce it was Zelda because they wanted it to be something else. And I just remember the guy being like, oh, well, all the all the Zelda Nintendo fans decided to make it this. They announce it and like then they just like cut to something else. I'm like, that was your game of the year. <laughs> they were just like, whatever should have been this. But it's just interesting how that perception has like changed. And, you know, our gaming industry has grown. But I think that's also the pitfall, too, is these game scores can impact a lot. And as you are writing these game reviews, you know, you could, if you're, if you're a bigger publication, you could have a publisher who is like, listen, I, I saw the review and I just don't think that matches the experience that we're trying to put out here. And, you know, like we're going to have to really consider, reconsider our relationship on giving you free copies of games. Like that can change it. Like maybe you write a completely honest review and then, you know, your editor in chief pulls you in and says, Hey, you know, uh, so-and-so is a little bit upset about like, that can't be there. If you're going to do this, you have to be able to be honest, explain and rationalize your opinion. Because on the flip side, if your opinion is all oh, this games of five out of 10, it's stupid. Like, I'm not going to listen to you. You got to flesh that out. I got to understand the context. Like I, I, I like to know a little bit about why you feel that opinion, whether it's good, bad, or in between. So that was almost lost to the tides of time. And I can't even, I can't even find the game informer follow up with the editor in chief at the beginning of the magazine. Cause I remember him commenting on it, but I cannot remember what he said. So it's just absolutely fascinating. Um, and it's just another one of those stories that kind of gets lost to the, the tides of history. Um, it, it's like all of the, you know, early internet videos of like E3 presentations are like triple uploaded and look terrible because, you know, Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, Sega, they weren't uploading themselves because freaking all the like YouTube didn't exist. Social media didn't exist. So it's like those videos just aren't out there. So it's like things that I watched, you know, live or things that I saw or like, you know, they just they're difficult to find now. And it's just like we're losing these to the tides of like history. Um, so it, I, I wanted to talk about that because one, I think it's important when you're, you know, writing video game reviews that you have a good basis for, you know, fleshing out your experience with the game. 
and understanding that you're basically, you know, writing a recommendation piece, essentially, or a not recommended piece. <laughs> um, but two, kind of talking about the actual scoring system. Uh, and then three, I wanted to highlight, you know, this specific instance where there was maybe, you know, a lack of integrity or confusion or whatever you would want to call that. But I just can't imagine ever saying that so easily flu like fluidly and having that come out and being like we don't review games based upon how we feel here and speaking on behalf of the entire organization taking your lumps and then having to come out and be like actually everything i said was a lie <laughs> what i meant was the opposite because uh i'm fired <laughs> i don't know if that person was fired but i just remember it was like wow i i, I went and uh, i canceled my my subscription and uh that, that was basically the end of it. Uh, I kind of quit looking at game reviews like that anymore because, you know, during that, that era, there was just so much bias uh, that ended up going away. Like the Wii and the DS being so successful kind of made it go away because it's just like these games are popular. Like you can't get around it anymore. You know what I mean? It kind of changed the whole industry. But uh, that'll wrap up episode 10 of Gaming's Lost Memories. Uh, I'm your host, Big Reed. Please follow, like, subscribe. Uh, if you leave a review, that would be awesome. Uh, but also give me some uh, recommendations and everything like that, either on topics or how I can improve. And uh, once again, I'm Big Reed, and thank you so much for listening.